Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. We're going to spend time as family just worshiping the King. Jesus, we invite you in this morning. We invite you to have your way, to do your thing. We welcome what you have for us this morning. And we say we are open and we are together as family to invite you in and to hear from you. We bless you. We love you. Thank you for everything that you do and everything you've done. Thank you for the plans that you have for us, the things you've walked us through and the things you're taking us into. In your holy name, amen. Isn't God good? Yes. God is good. So this is the God that we're worshiping this morning. So let's give him all of our praise because he is worthy of our praise. Amen. Let's worship. So in 1 Samuel, Saul puts the people under an oath. He says, don't drink, don't eat. We're going to war to fight the Philistines. And they reach this point where they're out of energy. They are white. Jonathan never heard the command. So he dipped his spear and some honey and his eyes lit up and he was ready to fight. And I feel like in this moment that there's a number of us that we're spent. Our energy's gone. Our faith is low. We're, the world has been just about getting us, but... The word of God right now is, come, intentionally, come, taste of the good things of the Lord. Be refreshed. Be intentional. Give your heart over to the things of the Spirit. The Spirit is life. The Spirit is life. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking, in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our broken downness, in the midst of our our helplessness, we're asking for the Holy Ghost to come. Minister to us. Give us the touch of that honey on our tongue. Give us a touch of that honey on our tongue to brighten our eyes again. Father, our enemies have surrounded us and our strength is down, but we know where you come in, God, where you give strength. One chases a thousand, two chase ten thousand, three chase a million, and so on, God. So we're asking in Jesus' name, let the honey be released to us, God. Give us a touch of your Holy Spirit. Ignite our faith, God. Speak to us again. Open our capacity again to experience you, God. We're asking, Lord. We're asking, Lord. And you say, don't worry, little children. It's your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so, Father, we receive honey. We receive manna. We receive living water. We receive the grace to go again. We receive encounters with the Holy Ghost. We receive the Word of God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So we're waiting on You, Lord. We're waiting on You, Lord. We're waiting for a word, a touch, whatever it is. We're waiting for You, God. Just before we transition, what I want us to do is... I feel there are a lot of prayers that we're still holding in our hands and we've, we've held them for some time. And I just feel like the Lord's saying there's a lot of faith in this room and I just want you to take those prayers and I want you to hold them up to Him right now. Father God, there's a lot of prayers in this room. And right now, Father God, I believe there's a lot of faith in this room too. 
And Father, right now, we just take these prayers that we've held on to for so long, whether they're prayers of salvation for our family, whether they're prayers for financial help, whether they're prayers for healing. God, whether it's just prayers for drawing closer to you and knowing you more. Father, whether they're prayers for just freedom in our heart where we still feel bound in some areas. Father, we just take these prayers, God, and today we release them to you. And we say, Jesus, would you please come? Would you please answer these prayers? Father, we give them to you. We lay them at your feet. And we say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the salvation that will come. Thank you, Father, for the healing that will come. Thank you, Father, for the continued provision that will come. Thank you, God, that you will continue to break down those walls in our heart that hold us back from you, God. Father, we fully want to be devoted to you in every way. We want to give our heart fully to you, God. And so, Father, today we just trust you. We trust you. And we give these to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. This is the God we serve. A faithful God. A faithful God. Yeah, let's give him a clap offering. He's a faithful God. Thank you, Jesus. You're faithful. We will not lose hope. He is faithful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, that was just a beautiful time of worship. Well, uh, we have a wonderful guest speaker with us this morning. We're really, really excited he's here. But to introduce him, I want to invite Melody to come on up. So come on up, Mel. Hello, everybody. Happy Sunday. <laughs> so we are just so delighted uh, to have Aaron Imey with us. So as many of you know, we are the um, Edmonton representatives for CMJ Canada, which stands for the Church's Ministry Among Jewish People. So we met Aaron back in 2015 for the first time, and so he came and stayed with us when we did the 10 white truck tour across Canada, him and his beautiful family. He has a beautiful wife and three children. And uh, so he came back uh, just recently and did some speaking engagements in Spruce Grove. And this weekend, we were just so blessed to have a seminar where he taught on the Hebraic roots of the Lord's Prayer. And we were just so blessed because it, we just uncovered or received so many gems that we wouldn't otherwise, you know, just see as we read it. Because when we study the Hebraic roots, we just get so much so we are just so uh, honored to have him here in our body that you can receive some of this too from Aaron. Um, so anything else I've missed? Okay, good enough. So come on up, Aaron. He's a... He... Aaron is the deacon and pastor of uh, Christ Church, which is in the old city of Jerusalem. That's one of the ministries of CMJ Israel. So he might touch on that a little bit. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for Aaron. Lord, I thank you, God, that you have given him a word for this body in particular, Lord. And, God, I pray that we would open our hearts wide, Father, to receive your word to this brethren. Lord, we thank you. We ask for your blessing upon him in Jesus' name. Well, greetings and shalom from Jerusalem. Shalom. Yes, I receive, receive that back. 
Um, my job as uh, the, the deacon of Christ Church was uh, for many years to lead the evangelism team in, in Jerusalem. CMJ is also a mission which had a, a strong burden for 200 years to tell Jews about Jesus. Also, to take this text, this Bible, which is written by Jews, predominantly about Jews, to Jews, and to explain it to non-Jews. And I'm going to do a little bit of that today, and at the same time, hopefully, give you some good news from the Middle East. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> because when you turn your TVs on, it doesn't look very good, does it? And then you, you read the internet, and it always seems like the enemy is winning. It always seems dark. It seems hopeless. But if you believe that God is a king, and I know you do. Yes, you do. So if God is a king, he's sitting on the throne. And if he's ruling and reigning, then he's doing something. So then we need to just open our eyes and find out what he's doing. And so I'm going to hopefully, with the Spirit of God, give us some good news. And once we know what God is doing, then we can join in with our prayers, with our praises, with our enthusiasm. And so for the beginning, I'd like to look right at the start of the Gospel of John. So in John, chapter 1... We get this idea of Jesus calling his disciples. And you have this very interesting little event in John chapter 1, starting at verse 43, where Jesus begins calling Nathanael. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for the Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Lech acharai in Hebrew. Now when, when uh, rabbis call disciples, and disciples decide to follow rabbis, discipleship is a Jewish idea, right? This gathering of people around uh, to, 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 to spend your life with for a while. Discipleship does not just occur on a Wednesday night Bible study, okay? And it's not just for a couple of hours on a Sunday or a Sabbath, sitting around at the feet of the Master, listening to Him. Discipleship is 24-7, so what these guys did is they left whatever they were doing and they followed the master. And they, their job was to look. They had to watch everything Jesus did. They watched how he walked. They listened to how he talked. They listened to his Bible study. They watched how he related to women. They noticed how he related to his mother. How did he relate to the temple? How did he relate to Gentiles? And then they learnt that behavior and put it into practice. They looked like Jesus. So if they walked along and they saw Jesus um, bump into a rock and bump his toe, they listened. What's he going to say? What have been the words that come out of his mouth? And then, they, and then whatever he did, they took that to heart. And then, then they put it into practice. So that at the end of their time with the Master, Jesus had 12 Jesuses. Okay, that's what he wanted to do. And that's our responsibility. So he grabs Philip and he says, Lech acharai, walk after me. Philip 
like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, Bethesda, Bethsaida, which means um, house of hunting. And it's a fishing village, so they were hunting, hunting fish right on the shore of the Galilee, just uh, in the northwest. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses has written about in the law and in the prophets. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then you all know the very famous line, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asks, well, come and see. So Jesus gives the first invitation, come. And what do the disciples do? Mimic it. They also say, come. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Ooh, that's nice. Okay, I'd, I'd love Yeshua uh, to say that to me. Okay. And then, of course, Nathanael goes, Well, how do you know me? I mean, we haven't even met. This is the very first time I've met this guy. How do you know me? And Je- which is a typical Jewish response. Whenever you meet somebody, you ask questions. Yeah, always asking questions. Notice that Jesus was always asked questions, and then he answers questions with questions. He, he was asked in the Bible 183 questions, and he answered three of them. Okay? You go, wow, you're really full of information, brother. Okay? But, but the way you teach in Jewish tradition is you ask a question. Okay, that you draw people into the discussion. You don't just tell them. You invite them in to talk. And in the presence of, of even your enemies, you can sit and have a discussion and eventually rise again as, as friends. Okay, so Jesus says, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Alrighty. And then Nathaniel declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. The guy, he had met Jesus for what? All of 10 seconds. And all of a sudden, he's the son of God, the king of Israel. Right? It takes Peter, yeah, three and a half years before he finally says, you're the Messiah. Okay? My gosh, you took that talk a long time. But, but Nathaniel gets it instantly. How? Right? Now, in, in context... We, uh, we, we as Gentiles, right, we tend to read this at uh, you know, face value, and that's great. And so I'll ask the question, what was Nathaniel doing before Jesus called him? Yes, I like it. I love you, man. <laughs> What's the question? Okay, no, that's all you got? Okay, that, but it was good. It was good. We're going to edit some questions in there for you. (laughs) What do you think? What do you think Nathaniel was doing? Usually we respond, he was sitting under a fig tree. You know, he had a piece of corn in his mouth, you know, straw hat on his head. He's just chewing the grass. And then finally he says, wow, this guy's the Messiah. If it was that easy for Jesus to, 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 to disclose his his uh, authority and his power and let him know who he was, then don't you think he would have walked around and said it a little more? I saw you when you were in McDonald's. Ooh. 
I saw you when you were buying Levi's jeans. Ooh, this guy's good. Must be God. Right? It's, but that, that's not actually what happened. When, if anyone actually goes to Bethsaida, and you actually can on a little, uh, little tour, isn't one of the more popular places because uh, it's archaeological ruins, and after looking at 10 archaeological ruins, you get a little bored. Uh, when you, but when you do go to Bethsaida, it is beautiful. It's right on the shore of the Galilee. The water's lapping along. There is uh, some beautiful um, archaeological ruins of what a, what a town looked like in the time of Jesus. You can walk around their little houses. You can walk around the little streets. You can go into the synagogue. But one thing you might notice is that there's actually no fig trees around. There are some pine, lots of Syrian pine. There's an acacia or two. There's even some eucalyptus, if you happen to like those big trees from Australia. But there's not a fig. Because fig tree doesn't mean fig tree to Jewish people. Now remember, this is a Jewish book. When you say the word fig tree to Jews, if, if, what do you think that they immediately... Uh, think of? What's the first time we ever see the word fig in, a bi- in the Bible? Very good. Alright. So what happened in Genesis that we needed a fig? Nakedness. Okay. Small, small problem. Okay. So God made the world and he had a garden and it was beautiful. We didn't quite uh, do our job and, uh, and, and we ate of, of the wrong fruit. Then we discovered that we were naked, and exactly what that looked like, I have no idea, okay? Adam's eating. Oh my gosh, okay? (laughs) This is bad. I've got to go dress something. So he, he gets himself some figs, and he makes himself little clothing. Little does he know that the sap of a fig is a skin irritant. So you could imagine the Lord God coming down in the afternoon going, Adam, I bet that's itchy. That is not intelligent. That was a paraphrase. And, and so he, he, God actually makes some clothing for Adam. But the first time we encounter the word fig is in the concept of covering, of protection. right? And so the idea of a fig became your covering, something that actually protected you. And what protected the people of Israel against the world? What protected them against the lies of the enemy? What protected them against paganism and idolatry? Yes, well done. The Torah. The Torah protected them. And that's what actually Paul says in Galatians. He says, before the Torah was your shield. He doesn't say it in a negative way. It's a positive thing. It guarded you. But now, what's your shield? The Holy Spirit. Now you've got the Holy Spirit. And by the way, these Gentiles have too. It's wonderful. We're all guarded now by by God himself. But when you heard the word fig tree, sit under your fig tree, that meant that you were studying the Bible and looking for the Messiah. That's what Nathaniel was doing. And when you go to Bethsaida, you can walk into the synagogue, and right next to the synagogue, always attached to them, was what's called a Beit Midrash, literally a school, 
and that's where people would study the Bible. Because they didn't have Bibles like we have Bibles. So they couldn't just sort of you know, go into their private home and have a Bible study. They didn't walk around and carry one of those things. When you studied the Bible, you actually did it in public. And uh, you didn't do it by yourself. Right? You, didn't, you, didn't, you, you do not study the Bible by yourself. Because if you just studied the Bible by yourself, you might come up with some crazy ideas. So they, they would always have these checks and balances. They would always have people coming, hey, come, come read this with me. Let me see if I got this right. Okay? So what was he actually studying? We don't know because the text doesn't say. But what Jesus says, it says, while you were looking for me, I was looking at you. And Nathaniel got it. He went, oh my gosh, you're the guy I've been reading about? You, you are the king of Israel. You are the son of God. Now, son of God, in Hebrew, ben Elohim, doesn't literally mean son of God, like God had a wife and away we go. Because you're also sons and daughters of God. Angels are called sons of God. Israel is called a son of God. The term ben Elohim means in a relationship with God. So when Yeshua is on the planet, when Jesus is here, what does he call himself? Son of man. And when you hear the word ben Adam in Hebrew, uh, like if I say it, it means human. Like if I want to say, well, I blew that because I'm just a mortal, I say, ani pashut ben Adam. I'm just a man. I blew it. But for Yeshua, when he said son of man, ben Adam, they heard the book of Daniel. Because in the book of Daniel, you had this mysterious character show up in front of the Ancient of Days called Son of Man. And he was eschatological. He was incredibly powerful. All the nations are going to worship him. Uh, he is going to be given all authority and a dominion and a throne in heaven even. And so when they heard Son of Man, they went, oh, you're that guy. Oh, that's really special. You're very powerful. Yeah, I'll follow you. And uh, so... He says to them, you'll see even better things than this. You'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So when you hear angels ascending and descending, where do angels start from? Earth. They start on earth. Where are the angels? Right here. They are right here. They travel with us. They guard our children. They, uh, they journey, they keep the enemy far away. And uh, thanks be to God. And he's got lots of them. In fact, in Jewish, it's just a tradition. Just to say, how many angels has he got? They'll say that behind every blade of grass, there's an angel whispering, grow, grow. Okay? Do they actually think there's that many? No, but they just think that the point is, they're everywhere. Okay? And eventually, one day, we will see them. And some people have. Some people have actually entertained angels Unknown. And that is one of the reasons why in, in Jewish and in Arab tradition, because it's Middle Eastern, they love to invite people in to, to eat. Because just in case they have an angelic visitor, okay, and the blessings uh, will be them. So in Israel, uh, we witness to lots and lots of Jews. It might be a surprise to find that Israelis love to come to church to talk about the Messiah. Think, hang on a second. That's not what we normally hear. But Jewish people are curious. 
when they finish the army, they usually start wandering around the world. And they go to the beaches of Australia, which is the other Mount Zion. And uh, they go to the, the jungles of Mexico and the mountains of Nepal. And they want to look, what do you do? How do you do it? Can I do it too? What, how much does it cost? And they come, they come to Christchurch and they say, listen, we, we want to know why you Christians support us. Because normally we hear about how bad everybody thinks we are. And so we begin to tell them a story of these, uh, these Protestant Christians 200 years ago who started reading their Bible and discovered, oh my gosh, Jesus isn't coming back to Paris or to London, as nice as those cities might be. Where was the Messiah coming back to? He's going to come back to Jerusalem. And before the Messiah returned, three things had to happen based on, reading a, based on a literal reading of Bible. What are they? That's right, the Jewish people were going to return. Nearly every single prophet talks about a physical return of the Jewish people to the Holy Land. Okay? Not because they're special, not because they're pure and holy, but because God said, this is for my name. I'm going, to, I'm going to make my name great because I'm going to put you there and everybody's going to talk about it. And they still do. Okay? In the United Nations, it's the second word that comes out their, their mouth. Right? Usually the first words are, good morning, we hate Israel. Okay? But they're there. It's on TV. Unbelievable. And God is, is, is calling to the nations and saying, listen, this is what I'm doing. But some other things had to happen. What were they? Gospel had to be preached to all the world. And so in the, in the 1800s, we have a missionary explosion. Suddenly, the, the Protestants start building, building mission societies all over the place. Baptist Mission Society, London Mission Society, Bible Translation Societies. They all start between 1790 and 1830. Right? All the big ones that we might have heard in the past, they all start then. Because people were captivated by this book. And the way you read your Bible changes your behavior. If you read your Bible literally, it will change your behavior. But if you take the whole thing as a piece of allegory, look what happens. How many of our churches have lost the gospel? Because Jesus isn't the way anymore. He's just a way. And uh, you actually don't have sin. The only sin in the world these days is racism and intolerance. Right? Nothing personal about that. So suddenly, church has suddenly just become a nice place to go and meet and have afternoon tea, which you can do on a golf course. And so they, they all, go, all the churches go empty. But I, I've got a feeling that you guys don't preach it that way, do you? Right? You believe that Jesus is Lord, don't you? Yes, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, and he does take away our sins. And he does give hope to the nations. Yes, and so that is the truth. And people need it. They don't need a lie. They need the truth. And they'll, they'll, they'll receive it. Because the Spirit of God works through His truth. It works through His Word. It works, it works through us. Faith comes by hearing. At the same time, no one comes to the Father unless the Father draw Him. He does both. Classic Jewish tension. Who's saving me? Jesus is saving me. But I need that guy to tell me. Okay, it's got to come out of our lips. Okay, so... The Jewish people were going to come back to the land. The gospel is going to be preached to all the world. And, according to tradition, there'll be a temple. 
and there'll be this thing happening. It's going to, and it hasn't happened yet, but the Jewish people are definitely in the land, and mission societies are everywhere. Praise be to God. So along come these little Protestants. They go to, them, to, to Jerusalem, and they start saying, we want to tell you a fantastic story about Jesus. And Israelis still come. And when they come, we get, we get these Israelis, big groups, we take them around Christchurch, explaining all the, all the things we did, building hospitals, building schools, uh, uh, mission stations, translating the Bible. And they'll say things like, you know, we, we love it that you guys um, like us, but about this God, we only believe in one God. And we say, yeah, yeah, so do we. Well, but you have this thing called the Trinity. That's not in the Bible. And then we say, yes, it is. Because there's nothing new in the New Testament until Jesus says, now I tell you something new. <laughs> Usually whenever Jesus taught, he was quoting from the Hebrew Bible. He says, look, this is what this passage means. Now I'm going to explain a mystery to you. Even Paul says, there's a mystery here that, that I didn't know before. And now I'm going to tell you. There are a few new commandments, especially when Yeshua says, now I'm going to give you a new command. You already know to love your neighbor as yourself, but now I'm going to tell you, you love like I love. Not just, don't just love your neighbor like, like you love yourself. Well, I know how much you love yourself, but I want you to love like I love you. Even above that is a great commandment. It's a very hard, scary commandment, but it's a great one. So we, we, there are lots of Bible verses for us to, to, to mention, but I want to mention one that maybe Nathaniel was looking at. And it comes from Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, 12. And I'm, I'm going to read it in Hebrew, and then I'm going to do a free translation. <laughs> can, I, can I do that? Yes. Yeah, I can have the unauthorized duct tape version. Okay. So yeah, I have, I have my duct tape. So Hebrew, uh, Isaiah uh, uh, 48, <clears throat> starting at verse 12. And it says, Shema Alai. Yaakov, the Yisrael Mikra'i, Shema, absolute loaded term in Hebrew. When you hear the word Shema, that means sit up, pay attention. Because for Jewish people, they say a prayer twice a day. First thing when they wake up in the morning, they say Shema Israel, hear Israel. There is only one God. And when they go to bed, they say it again. So when they hear the word Shema, oh, this is interesting. Prophet starts with that one. Shema Alai, Yaakov, Israel, Mikra'i. Listen to me, Jacob, and Israel, whom I have named. Right? God is the one in charge. He gets to decide who gets called what. He gets to decide which nations go where. And God, in his good pleasure, loves to identify himself as the God of Jacob, which is phenomenal. Because what's the character of Jacob? What's his character like? He's a deceiver. He's an usurper. And he's a coward. Every time you read the word Jacob, the very next sentence in Hebrew is usually, and he was afraid. Okay? He's always fearful. So he usurps his, his, his brother's birthright, tricks a blessing out of dad, and then when he finds out, the first thing he does is, oops, I'm off. 
Not, I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going to, you know, uh, I know I'm going to get a good, good spanking for this. He, he won't do that. He runs. He's always afraid. And when finally he's coming back into the land with his you know, wives and kids, he hears that his brother Esau is coming out to meet him. So what does our brave hero do? Let's send the women and children in front. Okay? I was like, really? You're the hero type? Oh, my gosh. And, and, and yet God says, I'm proud to call myself the God of Jacob. Because when he's weak, I'm strong. And so whatever our issues are, whatever our weaknesses are, they are the Lord's. And he turns them into his strength. And he is proud to call himself the God of Jacob. I am the God of Jacob, he says. And Israel, whom I named, this one is mine. Anihu, I am he. I am the first and I am the last. So who said he was the first and the last? Jesus, of course, in Revelation, right? When he's on the planet, he calls himself son of man. But when he gets into Revelation, it's like, no, I am the first and the last. But obviously when we're in Isaiah, we haven't quite gotten to Jesus yet. So we get these Israelis here and we say, who is speaking? Who is the first and who is the last? They go, don't, don't know. Is it, is it the prophet? Is it Isaiah? I mean, he has the biggest, biggest book. He's got 66 chapters. You know, that poor little Obadiah, he's got like one. Um, you know, is, uh, well, the next sentence is, My hand has laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand has flung out the heavens. Who made the heavens and the earth? God. So the first and the last is God. We get it. Okay. Korei ani alehem ya'amdu yachadu. When I call them, when I call the planets, when I call the stars, they all stand up. That's how powerful he is. If I want the sun to rise, he rises. If I tell the moon to go down, he goes down. If I want the stars to shine brighter, the stars shine brighter. If I want, if I want asteroids to fall on my enemies, they do. That's how tough I am. The first and the last is the Lord God who made the heavens and the earth. That's what we read when we read in, in Genesis. right? The Lord God made the heavens and the earth. In verse 16, the, the prophet is continuing. He says, Kivu alai. Now come close to me. Vashma'uzot. Again, the word shma. And now it's in plural. Everyone, listen to this. Lo merosh beseta debati. Not since the beginning have I spoken in secret. In, in, the, in the Hebrew word davar means the word to speak, ledaber. It also means the word for word. And it also means the word for thing. Or the same word means all of those. It means to speak, it means to speak a word, and words are things. It's also the, the word for desert. Midbar, same word. Okay? So where does God speak to his people? In the desert. He always takes his heroes into the desert and has a conversation with them. The desert is God's seminary. Right? That's his Bible college. He says, I need you alone. I need you out in the desert where I can actually talk to you. No more distractions. You are totally dependent on me for absolutely everything. There's no city walls to protect you. It will be me. 
So he will talk to his heroes in the desert. But not since the beginning have I spoken in secret. So there's this idea of there being a word, and the word is also a thing. Me'et haita shamani. Since the beginning. Me'et is a biblical Hebrew time word, which you do not say in modern Hebrew. Okay? I speak modern Hebrew. I, I, I don't, no one speaks biblical Hebrew. But me'et means since the beginning. Since the beginning of time. Haita shamani. I was there. Va'ata, which means right now. As in, 37 minutes past 11 right now, I was there. So I'm timeless. Adonai Hashem Shalachani Vrucho, the Lord God sends me with his spirit. But wait a second, we just said that the first and the last was God, didn't we? And didn't the first and the last make the heavens and the earth? Yes. And now God is sending him with his spirit. The Hebrew Bible loves mystery. Right? The Hebrew Bible loves to say something. The prophet speaks like this, and he goes on to another topic. Right? In the West, we hate mysteries. Okay, we have you know, a murder mystery show, and at the end of 45 minutes, we have to catch the bad guy. Because if we don't, we will call Netflix and complain. Right? What do you mean you didn't catch the bad guy? You can't leave me hanging, man. I've got to go to work tomorrow. Okay? So in, 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 in our Western world, we just, we've got to get to the end of a mystery. But Hebrew Bible loves to thrive on it. King David says, I dwell, I meditate on your word day and night. He doesn't say, I solve it. Okay? So, ooh, I figured it out. Okay? So here, you know, Nathaniel's searching through the scriptures. Where's the Messiah? Where's the Messiah? Ah, oh, who is this character that makes the heavens and the earth? And he's not actually God, but my gosh, he's there at the beginning. Hang on a second. I'm, I'm in, a, in a mystery. And then Jesus comes up and says, I was looking at you when you were looking at me. And straight away he goes, I know who you are. You're the king of Israel. You're the one that we want. I will follow you. And he does. And so we have these, these, these great conversations in, in Israel with somewhere between thirty and 35,000 Israelis every year. And we give lots of Bibles away and we have watched the Messianic movement grow from four churches with paid pastors in 1948 to 265 which is a fantastic thing. He is bringing his people back and he is opening their hearts to the truth and they are getting, uh, uh, they are becoming saved. And that means they will be a blessing to the earth. Okay, because Isaiah also says something else, which is interesting, that I want to give, that will give hope. If that doesn't even give you hope, there's a whole lot more. But that will give you hope to the nations. In, in Isaiah chapter 19, in verse 23... The prophet says this, these amazing words, and once again, he just speaks and never seems to unpack it. He says, In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. 
And in that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing on the earth. One day, Israel will be a blessing, not a curse word. It'll be a blessing to the world. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Now, we look at this prophecy and we figure out, I don't know how this is going to happen because I look at the Middle East today and it looks kind of nasty. But if we believe that God is on the throne, then we know he is doing something. So at Christ Church, at CMJ, we wanted to know what God was doing. So we invited believers, most of them Muslim background believers, to come to, to Jerusalem to tell us, what is Jesus doing in your country? And we heard the most amazing stories. We're going to play one in just a minute. Before I do, there's going to be a guy on here uh, called Ali Pektash. And uh, underneath it's going to say Turkey. He's actually Kurdish. Okay? Kurds, Kurds are not Arabs. They're Kurds. And uh, he was a good Muslim. And he was a member of the PKK, which uh, means he blew people up. Mainly Turks, who also aren't Arabs. There's a little fight that they have, but they're Muslims. And, and as a good Muslim, you do the Hajj. So he needed to go and make the Hajj to Mecca. This is the, the once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage for a good Muslim to go to Mecca. So he goes. And when he gets into, into Mecca, puts on his little white robe to walk around the Kaaba, kiss the black stone, run down to the river and throw rocks at the devil. It's a really cool process. Okay? I like baptism, but hey, what do I know? Okay. Anyway, while he's doing this, he has a vision of Jesus in Mecca while on the Hajj. And he becomes a believer in Jesus. So he goes back to Kurdistan and they say, Ali, Haji, how was the Hajj? He goes, oh, it was great. I became a Christian. Okay. And so now he moved to Turkey and instead of blowing people up, he builds churches. Because God is on the throne. That means he's doing something. That means we need to know what he's doing and get involved. So I'd like to show um, a, a video of uh, what we did. Just inside the Jaffa Gate of the old city of Jerusalem is Christ Church. The Jerusalem headquarters of CMJ, the church's ministry among the Jewish people. Christ Church, which is a 205-year-old Anglican mission, counting William Wilberforce as among its founders, is the oldest Protestant building in the Middle East and is serving once again as host for the second at the Crossroads Conference. It is part of a largely untold story of how Muslim background followers of Jesus from around the Middle East and North Africa are forging close bonds with Messianic Jews, a growing worldwide movement of Jews who believe Yeshua, Jesus, is their Messiah. Christ Church Rector David Pelegi believes that this conference will help present a clearer picture of what God is doing in the Middle East, so often blurred by a constant focus on conflict. We've invited former Muslims from the Middle East, countries from North Africa, to meet their Messianic brothers and sisters. But now we are experiencing those things that Abraham was so curious about. This is the, uh, the cross-section 
the spiritual cross-section of what's going on in the region and I need to know, I need to kind of put my finger on the on the on the heartbeat of what's happening, what the Lord's doing in the Middle East. I see God connecting the doors. And for me it's exciting to see how all this fits. And I can find the big picture emerging out of the book of Isaiah. I think the message of Isaiah 19 is really at its foundation the message of reconciliation. It's nations that we don't see as being at peace, becoming at peace with one another, and God using that to affect the world. We want to move Christians from beyond just a view of life here in the Middle East that is survivalist and mode, that just keeps them in their nationalistic church mentalities, and sees the Middle East as a region, gives them a kingdom perspective, calls them to take risks that help them to walk beyond just surviving and going day to day, but as well has them reaching out to the unreached, taking risks, just as Abraham did when he left his home, his family, everything that he knew, and came to the land of Israel. The Crossroads Initiative has taken inspiration from a biblical passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 19, which speaks of a highway of blessing from Egypt to Assyria, which includes the Arab Middle East, Iraq, northwestern Iran, southeastern Turkey, part of Armenia, Cyprus, and Israel. Delegates have come to Jerusalem, some for the very first time, in response to this prophetic passage of Scripture. We want folks uh, to take the message of Isaiah 19, which is a message of reconciliation. It is a, a message about God's kingdom to cross those ethnic boundaries, to uh, put politics aside, and to work together to bring blessing uh, to a very troubled part of the world. What's unique about the Crossroads Conference is that we have Arabs from the West Bank, Israel proper, Messianic Jews, meeting former Muslims from Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Kurdistan, Egypt, North Africa, this is unique. Rather than listening to those who ask us the question of is Isaac more important or is Ismail more important, we should spend time focusing on the reasons to love each other. We are Without ever forgetting that Isaac and Ishmael were brothers, that they have one father, we should remember that we are from the same family. Because this fighting, this war, is only helping to save the So I plead with our young people, do not give the devil a football. It doesn't matter if you are Muslim or Christian. I think there's a natural tendency to take sides or to have a particular calling, and to say my calling trumps your calling. And uh, that's wrong. God's plan is to bless all people. Uh, we have a particular call to Jewish people, but we know there's a interdependency of blessing. When Arab and Muslim people come to faith in Yeshua, they will bless the Jewish world. When Jewish people come to understand the meaning of Jesus and the gospel, they will bless the wider world and their neighbors. So it's never either or. That's a temptation we have to resist with every fight of our being. God is much bigger than either or. God is also a God of blessing for all people. And we need to have that deep in our DNA mission, or we'll end up being sidetracked in unhelpful places. The devil is the devil. He always uh, desires that we are divided in all our attempts. So although we do manage to accomplish something for the kingdom of God, in the end, we 
We are not able to sustain what God has started because we do not have the fuller picture. This time around, I'm glad that I have an opportunity to share with my friends and family here in Jerusalem who are keen to understand God's heart for Isaiah 19. In the country where we serve and in the culture that we serve in, there is nothing that's seen as more difficult by the people than to reconcile two disagreeing parties, whether it's individuals or societies or villages or uh, states. And there's no commandment of Jesus that is seen as more appealing, but at the same time, more out of reach than the command to love your enemies, the command to pray for those who persecute you. Every time you tell this to a Muslim person, a person in the culture that we're in, they will say that it's appealing, that it's a good thing, that the world would be a better place if everyone did this, and they will also say that it's impossible to really experience it. So for us to come here, and to come here with people that we serve with, and with people that we minister to, and for them to see this happening, people who have been warring with each other, either in their spirits or in their thoughts, or physically and practically at war, and see them at peace because of the power of Jesus, it shows that the Holy Spirit's work is true and real. We have a shared destiny. Each one of their nations, whether it be Egypt or any of those nations mentioned in Isaiah 19, that constituted ancient Assyria, I think it's nine Middle Eastern nations today. We have a shared destiny, and there it is in Isaiah 19. And I just would like to say to each one of them, come and walk in it with us. And don't allow political things, don't allow what the world dictates in its, in its own moral systems to get in the way of that, because this is our highest calling, to step into the national destinies that God has for us. We've been here together praying, worshiping, hearing testimonies. And as we've been together, people have remarked, we've never seen anything like this. It's a taste of heaven on earth for us. And it speaks to us of something that would be almost saying what Isaiah said in the beginning of Isaiah 19, in that day. And would it be in that day, be in our day? In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrians will come into Egypt, and the Egyptians into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So this mission, CMJ, has been serving and reaching out to the Jewish people and the people of the Middle East, both Jews and Arabs alike, for the last 200 years. And uh, 200 years ago, we probably didn't see this, but we do now. The scary thing is the world doesn't want to see. Isn't that scary? They don't want to see Jews and Arabs coming together. Isn't that sad? They just keep wanting to separate people, which is not what God wants to do. He has given us a prophet. He has given us a prophecy. And he says, listen, I am going to be in the midst of these people and my, they will all worship and, and, and love and serve together. And it will be a blessing to the nations. We already know that God has a plan for Israel. Just read Romans. I know you've already probably done that before. If you haven't read Romans, turn to Acts, turn right. You will find it. God has a particular call. He says, I'm, I'm going to save these people. They're special because of my holy name. I need to do this. And God is doing something right now. So I hope you heard some good news from the Middle East. Yes, you did, because God is on the throne. 
So when you turn on the news, that's not the whole truth. It's not what we see on the ground. So I invite you to pray with what God is doing. Pray that he continues to build his kingdom in Israel and the Middle East. Pray that he, said, that he will establish this highway, that more Jews and more Arabs will come to faith in the Messiah. Come and visit. Okay? Take your pastors and take them to Israel. Okay? Come to Christchurch. Come worship with these guys. Come sing with them, dance with them, and hold their hands until... Tell me what Jesus did in your life. Spread the news. Don't let the world always believe a lie. And you already know the last one. Sowers need seeds, so help out. Guys, I would like to say that Shalom from Jerusalem. I've lived there for 20 years. It is not a dangerous place. It's the city of God. And one day, God will live there. Amen. So I'm just, I'm asking Pastor Aaron if he'd be willing to pray into that. And why don't we stand together as a congregation and just join with him and join our faith when he prays. Father in heaven, Lord, we hold your word in our hands. May the treasures and the truths here be also in our hearts and on our lips. We declare your authority and kingship, Lord, over Canada, over North America, and over the Middle East. And over all nations that rebel against you, Lord, in gentleness, in mercy and compassion, turn the hearts of the unfaithful to faithful. Let those who hate and rage put on mercy and justice and compassion. And so we pray, Lord, that we know your, your plans and we know your heart. Perform your word, Lord. Perform your word. Send out the harvesters into the harvest field. Lord, send your spirit ahead of them through dreams and visions. And guard your people with your angels to the honor and glory of your name. B'Shem Yeshua, in Jesus' name. Amen.